The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, realistic goals. I mean, in the world of personal development, self-help, inspiration, motivation, I mean, the point is to have a BHAG, right? If you haven't heard of that, it's the big, hairy, audacious goals. I mean, that's what Ziggler's built around to some extent. So then why would Zig Ziggler, the king of the BHAG himself, talk about negativity in some goals and cite that often people are unrealistic? How can that be? Well, it's a very important question as we balance belief in and not limiting oneself with some valid questions we do need to consider. So in this show, you're going to hear a three and a half minute message from Zig Ziglar on the issue. Then I asked the Ziglar audience this question. For those of you with a really big goal, one, do you feel it's realistic? Two, is it within your field of study and basic interest? And three, do you believe luck is a determining factor in reaching the goal? And those three things are right out of the clip that you're going to hear from Zig. Well, Tom Ziglar and I then talked through these issues and some of your comments for a show I think you're going to find comfort and confirmation in regarding your own big goals and, of course, some great inspiration. So I'm going to queue up this three and a half minute message from Zig Ziglar. Then Tom and I will address the comments and the topics right after I share what else we have for you and some great products and services. And then we need to check for the negativity in it. Now, when I say check for negativity, what do I mean? Well, you see, goals need to be big. They need to be out of reach but they don't need to be out of sight. Because if they're out of sight, you quickly realize you can't get there, you grow discouraged, and then you abandon the whole idea. Give you a couple of examples. I was conducting a seminar in Detroit one time a number of years ago. The investment that was required for people to get in that franchise operation, it was a sales one, only required $2,500. The young man who asked me the question, I'd had previous information about him, uh, uh, did not have the $2,500. Now he came up to me and he said, man, as after a gold seminar, he said, I'm so excited. You have made me a million dollars. He said, that's my goal for this year. And I said, well, now I hope you will share it with me then. Well, he got a little irritated because he felt I was uh, making fun of the goal. And he said, well, you don't believe I'm going to do it, do you? Well, you see, now I'm faced with a very important ethical question. Do I exercise positive thinking and say, man, you can do it? Or do I really look at the facts and counsel him on maybe changing that objective? Well, here are the facts. He's 25 years old. He's been working seven years. He's been unable to save $2,500 in seven years. Now, folks, that's less than $400 a year. Now, this year, he's going to make a million dollars. First, he's got to raise the 2500 to buy the franchise. Well, that's totally unrealistic. And I said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's see if we can't break this down and determine whether or not that is a realistic goal. And that's the process we're going through right now. I had another young man whom I will never forget came to me, and he said, man, my goal is I'm going to be the light heavyweight boxing champion of the world. 
Well, here was a guy, 31 years old. He weighed about 30 pounds too much for his height. I asked him, I said, well, how much experience have you had? He said, well, I've never been in the ring, but he said, my brother-in-law and I were out uh, sparring the other day. And man, he said, you can't believe uh, how easily I handle him. Well, that young man would have gotten killed by even a fair amateur. We had to talk about a different goal, like goal of losing the weight, getting in superb physical condition, and then look at an additional goal. They're negative if those goals are too big. They're negative, ladies and gentlemen, if it's out of your field of study and basic interest. Now, I love good dentistry. One of the reasons I do is simply because dentistry has had an important impact on my life. My teeth and my mouth get hurt and I want to go to a dentist. I really do. Now, if I were to set my goal to be a dentist, that would be ridiculous. You know, I'm not interested in that. My career would be at least 10 years from now getting started. By then, I'd be 76 years old. I'd only have 35 years left to practice. It simply would not be a logical thing. I have no interest in becoming a dentist. Also, your goal can be negative if you believe that luck is going to have to be the determining factor in reaching that goal. Well, Tom, looking at these three questions, of course, everybody will have just heard the clip from your dad, from Zig, and you know, I put these three questions out. And I thought we'll just work from the bottom up because the first one is really the meat of everything. And, you know, the last one, the last thing he said is, does your idea, does your goal have a lot to do or, or is it depending on luck a lot? And literally nobody who responded said yes. They said, you know, no, not at all. Or, you know, obviously some luck is, is good. Well, actually here, there's the best response. Jessica Smith Moyer, uh, who, you know, one of our, our Ziegler Legacies uh, certified Lady, she says, I do believe luck could play a part, but I also believe you create luck through perseverance and hard work. And that's my favorite definition. You know, when preparation meets opportunity, that's luck. But I don't think anybody's sitting around, at least nobody listened to the show, apparently, hoping for just luck to play out and make it happen. But I do like hers. I mean, I see people, I, I ask some of the guests sometimes, Hey, was there, was there a lucky, uh, a big break? I don't think I use the word lucky, but you know, did you have a big break? And they'll say, Oh my gosh, you know, yeah. When I, when I met Tom Ziegler and he gave me a chance to go on success 2.0, you know, that happened to me. Now it was preparation meeting opportunity. I didn't just walk up and say, Hey man, can I be on your show? Um, <laughs> But, you know, I would say that's a break, but I don't know if I, I term that, you know, luck uh, necessarily. So, I, you know, I, it's a, I almost want to throw it out, but I mean, it's important enough that your dad put it in there that apparently there are a lot of people that expect luck to play into it. One of the things that I get questioned a lot is uh, somebody will say, hey, my goal is to, and it doesn't necessarily require luck, but it's also not completely in their control. Okay. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one of our guys, I'll just, I'll pick on Kerry Lowe cause he's a great, uh, ZLC -er and a, and a good friend. And he had gone to work at a place and he had a lot of background in the industry and he was kind of in at a, um, I'll call it a, a supervisory manager level. And he wanted to be general manager because that's what he'd done. That's what the, 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 you know, his track record was. He says, hey, I want, I'm setting a goal to be the general manager here. And I said, well, that's fantastic. Uh, but you need to be also very realistic. 
And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, <clears throat> fantastic goal, but you're not completely in control of it. Mm -hmm. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, when you work for someone, you know, there's other things that get involved. There's office politics. There's other people who might have been there longer. Uh, there's those kind of things that play a role in that. You could be the number one performer. And you, and even though you might deserve it for, and you do everything right, you still may not get it. Now, it doesn't change the fact that you should go for it, right? Because if you do everything that puts you in the position to earn that position, either they're going to recognize you or somebody else will. Yeah. Right. But don't, don't put yourself in a position where circumstances beyond your control and way back early, early in dad's career, you know, we're talking 50 years ago, uh, he finished number two in a sales force of thousands and everybody knew that he actually finished number one, but there were some things going on hmm. and he just moved. He just, he just accepted it and moved on uh, from that. And so that just tells you, you do everything you can and that doesn't detract from maybe maybe you don't get that prize. Maybe there's a better prize like there was for dad somewhere else down the road that you're going to go and get. Luck is when, you know, if you say I'm going to go to Arkansas and they've got a diamond mine there, which is kind of which is kind of awesome. And you say, I'm going to go there and I'm going to get five carat diamond the first day. That would be luck. Mm hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you could have the best equipment. You could, you know, you could do it. You could be an expert. You could do everything. But statistically, we know what happens in that. But if if your goal is to make an income over a long period of time and you have the staying power and the work ethic, you're probably going to do it. Right. Because you've learned everything you need. So I, I think that's it. Don't let it hold you back, but don't make it, uh, you know, don't set yourself up if it's beyond your control. Yeah. Well, and to what, what, uh, Jessica said, I do, I like you saying that. I mean, we can never be totally in control, uh, of everything. So, you know, so whether you think about it as luck, grace, we've got a lot of people on the show who are faith-based folks who are praying for God's favor. Uh, I do look at, you know, the control I have is to set the stage for the opportunity of luck and to be wise uh, and then, gosh, my, we've all had, I mean, I, I know you, Tom, I've had times, well, there's not a month that goes by where I don't look back and go, gosh, that felt kind of a, a lucky, a fortunate event, a divine event, however you want to call it. And I'll generally have a couple times too, where I'll go, man, that was just, that just fell at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it should have done well. And that was just unlucky. Uh, I, I'll, I'll definitely cite that sometimes I go, Oh man, that was just a bad break. But then we also have those good breaks as well. But I think again, most everybody listens, nobody is sitting there. And I, well, if you're listening, hopefully you're not sitting there with luck as a primary ingredient for your goal. And I think we can expect that. Another, another Zig Ziglar quote that I love is, is he says, dad said that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's great to achieve the goal, but that's not the most important thing. It's who you become in the achieving of the goal. And I've been thinking a lot on happiness, and I've actually come out with a series of happiness quotes or sayings, and it's called redefining happiness. And our culture says that happiness is a feeling. Hmm. And it's like everywhere you go, it's like, you know, just be happy. Just get that feeling. 
And social media is wired this way. You know, we swipe left or right or up or down or whatever, and we get an endorphin hit when we get a like. And, you know, <laughs> you go online and check out the podcast ranking and how a f- happiness is a feeling based on what just happened. And, 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 and so in redefining happiness, it's kind of like the goal, right? Is, is the goal to be happy or to, to win, to do something so I'm happy, or is the goal different? So in redefining happiness, this is, this is what I'm really focusing on. Happiness is being and becoming the person God created you to become. And so let's look at a goal in that case. If by achieving this goal, do I be and become the person God created me to become? If that's the case, then I can kind of tie in what we talk about on mindset, which is I'm growth mindset oriented. Yeah. And so now I can set the biggest, hairiest, most audacious goal that to the world seems completely unrealistic. But my standard is, am I becoming and being the person God created me to become as I pursue this? So is it the growth? Is it, is, you know, it's like, I remember when I was playing competitive golf, there was a tournament that I played in and man, I played really good and I played above my head. Uh, And I was, and I played in the clutch and I got beat. I got beat by somebody who was making things from everywhere. And so I could have left that day really disappointed that I lost, or I could have left the day, which is what I chose to do, thinking, wow, you know what? That was pressure, and I, and I pulled it off. That was pressure, and I made a 30-footer on 16. That was pressure, and I got it up and down to keep the match going. You know what I mean? And, and so, so luck means that we have no say in the deal, uh, but we put everything in our favor when we change the standard from I need the result in order to feel happy to I need to learn so I can get closer to my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Right. And that is, that's a big difference. And Jessica's right. We do make, she says, we do make our own luck. And I think what it is, is, is as we get closer and closer to our performance, to our purpose, we, doors just open more options open better better things happen as we do that yeah i think the more we show up the more we expose ourselves to possibilities we find those lucky opportunities uh, that show up man real quick just on you talking about luck and happiness uh, tom rath man it was a long time ago it was episode 353 of the Ziegler show we had on Tom Rath. He is the renowned author of the uh, success 2.0, but he wrote another book called fully charged. And that was his muse of how we as a culture tend to look at a day and go, you know, how was your day today? Ah, it's pretty good. I'm pretty happy. And you know, next day, how was your day? Ah, man, it's crap today. Not very happy today. That it's just this uh, you know, happenstance kind of thing. And he says, when you, you know, look at it and he talked to those people, you find the things that made for the quote, happy day. He says, we can do those every day. We can proactively manufacture those things and decide to be happy instead of letting it be this happenstance. But it's just always been an anomaly to me, uh, that 
We really do. We tend to, if you ask somebody, how you doing? And you know, authentically, not just the passing by, how you doing? But if you go, hey, you know, man, how you doing? Stop, people stop to think and they'll, they'll just, ah, yeah, it's pretty, pretty good day. Like it's again, happenstance. Like we don't have control over at least setting the stage for the opportunity of that. So I, it's a book I recommend fully charged. It's Tom Rath. Uh, but if you want to hear, hear it, episode 353. Well, you know, the second then question that your dad asked is, is the goal within your field of study and basic interest? Most everybody said yes. And some people said, well, yeah, of course. So why would I do something that's not? Uh, but then I did have a couple people and a couple of like Jennifer Meisel, she says what I'm going after. So she's in one industry and she's pursuing a different industry. She said, it's not my field of study. Now, again, she separated that. I think most people did. I think, of course, they had a basic interest in it for the most part. So I'd say to anybody, obviously, Zig put it in there. If it's not in your field of study and you don't have any interest, what on earth are you doing going after that? I think our folks presuppose that, of course, I developed an interest in something new. But like Jennifer, she's saying it's not in my field of study, which is why I hired a mentor. Um, but she said it is in my interest. And somebody else said that as well, said that it's, uh, that it's not in their, it's not in their past experience, but they are, she said the same thing, getting counsel, coaching, consulting in that area. So generally, I mean, this comes back to who was it? Who, who wrote multiple streams of income? Robert Allen. Is that right? It sounds right. It's right. something along that multiple streams of income. When he came out with that book that really put that term on the map, that's one of the things that he went over. It said multiple streams, like if Tom Ziegler is going to have multiple streams of income and you've got, you know, book sales, you've got licensing rights, you've got speaking, you've got consulting, you've got all these different areas of income. They're all under the umbrella of what you do and what you have your skill set within. You don't have the separate one. And so, oh, I also have one in underwater basket weaving and dog training. I mean, those are way outside. So you're really going to have to separate your interests. He said, and this is not, uh, you know, there are always going to be exceptions. You'll find somebody, everybody here in this is going to go, man, I know this one guy and he's got a stream of income here and one totally separate. Okay. Very rare though. And generally it's difficult for us to totally divest ourselves from one area of interest and go over here in a totally different one. Um, so, you know, you know, so it's under the same interest, but sometimes we'll have somebody who gets woken up to a new thing. My buddy, Scott Stearman was doing media. He was a television guy doing video stuff. And at the age of 32 was walking down. It was actually here in Colorado, walking down. And this guy had this big storefront window and he was sculpting inside. I don't know what he was sculpting, but he's sitting there with his, you know, with, with his, all his clay and whatever. And he's sculpting this figure. And it just hit Scott. Now he was, he was an artistic guy already. He was doing it in multimedia and video, but he looked at it and he says, man, something in me, I just felt like I could do that. He went in and talked to the guy and then he started learning and he did have a natural knack for that 3d aspect of sculpting and kind of taking that vision in his head and doing that. And it was a very different thing. So let's say if some of these people who said here, it's not, but they went after and got they're they're now gaining, uh, gaining knowledge and skill in that area. So I think that's, I assume that's what Zig was getting to Tom is just that, you know, we got to watch out. If you're going after something totally different, you're going to, we would assume that I'll put that to you. You're going to have to, pay your dues to get up to a certain level of acumen if you're going to achieve something there. 
And one of the things that's interesting, when you look at top performers and they've kind of figured out, okay, this is the game, right? Here's how I set the goal. This is how I prepare. These are the, you know, so they are expert already at identifying the three things that we're talking about in our goal setting system. Yeah. You know, what are the, what are the obstacles or barriers that I'm going to have to overcome? What are the skills and knowledge I'm going to have to gain? And who are the people that I need to know in order to help me get there? And this is, this is the challenge. People who to say, you know what, I've never done X before. I'm going to go do that. And they've never been down that path. The shortcut and the clearest path to victory is to identify the problems, know the, know the skills and knowledge you need to get, and the people who can help you get there. And so the person earlier who said, uh, yeah, that's why I have a that that's why I uh, have a mentor or a coach to help me get there. Man, that's genius. Yeah. <clears throat> now, a lot of times uh, when you go off and you focus on something, it may be completely different, but there might be some things that are complementary to the things that you're doing. Yes. And boy, that's when you, you know, when people would say, uh, Zig, why do you always, why do you read three hours a day? And this is what he said. When you learn something new, it mixes around inside you with all the things you already know. And that combination is where creativity is born. And so when we start learning something new, and it's really interesting how uh, the, the great innovations of our time happen, not from the people who are so laser focused in that one thing, you know, for decades, people would go to the bus station and the airport and they would put their heavy suitcase onto a trolley and they would pay a bellman to carry it. And then somebody said, what if we put a wheel on a suitcase? Right. And so this is the power of going after something that is a little outside of your sweet spot because you get that that innovation in there. But you've got to have that wisdom that says, OK, what are the obstacles Who's already an expert that I can learn from and what's the skills and knowledge I've got to acquire. You are listening to the Ziegler show and this episode on realistic goals. Next, we talk about transferable skills that can lend to endeavors that may not seem to be in line with what you're currently doing, but you're very, uh, it's a very relevant fit. So you're going to be interested to hear this. We'll jump right back in after I share some great products and services with you. I want to hit on what you said there because I was thinking the same thing. When you have, if you're looking at something that may seem dissimilar, do you have transferable skills? And boy, you know, in it was actually my dad, Dan Miller, and all his years of coaching, he was often. I think he still is amazed that we so seldom or, or so often people miss the transferable skills. They say, "Man, I've been working in this company for ten years. This is what I do. I know how to do it." They get laid off. There's a merger. You know, whatever. They lose their job and they go, "Oh my gosh." What I have no idea what they could do and they can't see their transferable skills. And so he does that. I know you do that with folks in your executive coaching, Tom, to help them see their transferable skills. And I was thinking about that. You know, I went and out of the blue, I had built a really ugly, rough set of shelves out of a bunch of sticks one time. That was the extent of my contracting work. And then we decided to build a house to design it, to be the general contractors. And I was a primary laborer. Now I hired people who knew what they were doing, but then I joined them literally. 
And you would look at that and go, man, that is just way, uh, way off, off base to go after something like that. But you know, in so many ways it was transferable skills, Tom, it was taking a blank sheet of paper, literally, and start from that, making a framework, figuring out how to make it happen. Man, that's what I'm good at in business. That's what I'm great at. Now let's imagine somebody had done, and we did it to 80%. We moved in with the house, 80% complete. That is so me. Because I'm, I'm good with about everything. Eh, 80% complete, man, I'm good. Let's go. I'm done. Let's go to something else. If you, if you get 80% and want to hire me to do the finishing stuff and to make it ready for the homes tour, dude, I am not your guy. Not for your house, not for your business, not for anything. I'm, I'm a skeleton guy. If you want you know, muscle and tendons and skin and makeup, I'm not your guy. So you're, you're, a, you're a battlefield medic, but you're not a surgeon. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not your plastic surgeon, especially. Uh, but that's good to know too, to look at what is your propensity? Are you somebody who likes to start something from scratch? Are you somebody who likes to help maximize something that started? Are you like, are you somebody who likes to help maintain? Are you like somebody who likes to do the administration in that? Are you like some, you know, somebody, I mean, again, we can look at those. And so when you look at something that may seem dissimilar, if you can see transferable skills, and, and that's ultimately what I find for the most part, Tom, I bet you do too, that often when we have somebody who sees something that looks kind of new, it generally is they've, they found that desire, that interest, because whether they consciously, you know, uh, uh, realize it or not, there's some transferable skills. This is, this is within their wheelhouse of skill set, work and interest. I'll never forget the story of the Hubble, uh, space telescope. When they sent it into space, they forgot a part, an O-ring basically, which didn't allow them to focus this billion dollar piece of equipment that they put in space. Oh, <laughs> So they had to send some astronauts up to go and fix it. The problem was, is they were very much constrained in the equipment they could take with them. And the astronaut they picked to go do the walk, you know, the spacewalk to go out and repair it was named Story Musgrave. And he had all this education, all these PhDs. And the reason they picked him was he grew up on a farm mm. and he was used to fixing farm equipment with, with duct tape and bailing wire. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> and so he's just, so when they, when he finally figured out why they picked him, I mean, he had all these degrees, he had the technical knowledge, but, but he got the job because he had the experience of making do with what he had. Yeah. And I think here's something that's, that's a great attribute. Uh, when you look at world-class people in any area, they are extremely curious about that area. And there's no limit to how far deep into that one area of expertise they can go. And any little thing that kind of supports it, they just learn more and more and more. The people who get in trouble are the ones who get pretty good at something, then abandon it and go do something else. And they get pretty good at that, then they abandon it and go do something else. And so how do you find that balance you know, when you find something that, that, that you really love, man, just keep digging in, keep digging in. And then if from time to time, if you want to go check something else out, do it, but keep curious Yeah. and, and keep that idea of, Hey, is this, you know, in my pursuit of purpose and why, and what is, what is it I want to accomplish is moving closer to this. Is that getting me closer to my purpose? 
Am I being and becoming the person God created me to become? Do I have a growth mindset where I'm always learning something? And then, of course, uh, you know, when we talk about the value of work, it, it, you know, it has to do with the problems that we're solving for other yeah. people. Yeah. So how is this helping me solve problems for other people? Yeah. That's staunch counsel right there, Tom. The last piece then, which was actually the first part was, and that's where I wanted us to really get heavy on, is that aspect of your goal being in essence, realistic, which even saying that sounds very unzigglerite, right? That's not, that's not Ziggler's about the BHAG, about the big, hairy, audacious goal. So to say, hey, wait, to question somebody, like you can't hardly imagine your dad going, now, come on, buddy, that goal, is that realistic? I mean, that's the, he's, he's there to support and encourage. But to say, do you have, can I, is it fair to rephrase it to say, do you, do you currently have the credibility? I don't know if that's the best word, Tom. Track record, experience to walk that out. Like the guy in the story that he's talking about who has, you know, over however many years, hasn't been able to save enough money to spend 1500 bucks on the seminar. And it says, I'm going to make a million bucks next year. I would see Zig say, man, I believe you can make a million bucks. Doing it this year may be a little unrealistic. And I have definitely, uh, but that I, I do that, Tom. Sometimes I do that because it's what excites me. I am not motivated by small goals, so I will make a big goal, but I, even if I don't consciously make room for it, I subconsciously am thinking, look, man, if I shoot for the stars, this is my perspective. If I shoot for the stars and in a year, okay, I'm going to hit the stars and whatever this goal is in a year and I, and a year comes by and I haven't hit the stars. I'm usually thinking, yeah, but I'm like, I'm like three mountain ranges over. I'm way further than I am. So I'm still, I'm still stoked. I, my personality style can handle that. Now, my wife doesn't. And, and we've struggled in our marriage by doing that, by me saying, man, here's my goal. And she gets amped up and she's believing in it. And then we get there and man, that's what she's had. I mean, that's been her frame of mind and we're not there. And I'm going, hey, hey but we're a lot further along. And she's kind of devastated that, yeah, but I, she had her heart set on this. And so I've had to, I've had to, you know, just in my, my marriage, kind of curtail a little bit, which it may sound bad, but I'm, I'm catering to her personality type as well. And I have to understand that too. When she may lay a goal out there that she's going to be realistic and I'm going, come on, seriously, you can aim higher than that. Well, that's not her personality style. So, you know, we can hold those in there, but it's still going and looking at, is it realistic? I don't know. Help, help break that down because we're not saying that we're not negating the person's ability to rise to a bigger thing and achieve it. But we may look at the timeline. We may look at the history and say, okay, but let's be a little more realistic on the trajectory on the path. Is that fair? Yep. And also think uh, when we look at step number three, when you identify the obstacles and mountains to climb in our system, what you've got to do is you've got to separate the facts from the problems. Okay. And so let me give you an example. I'm 55 and my goal is to play in the NBA next year. Wow, Tom, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. We've I got, mean, it's not believable. We got some work to do, brother. I'm all in. <laughs> um, so what are the facts? I'm 55. Yeah. I haven't played basketball since a little bit in high school and very poorly then mm -hmm. I, I have like literally a two and a half inch vertical. I'm five foot 10. 
I'm extremely slow. And everything I just told you was a fact, okay? And so here's the thing. In our world, we accept facts, okay? We work on problems. Yeah, okay. Now let's just say we flip it, and I am uh, 15. I'm six foot six. I'm very coordinated. The doctor says I'm going to grow another three or four inches. Uh, from a physical perspective, I have nothing that says I can't compete at the Division One college level. And so even though with the long shot, I mean, it's still a long shot. The facts say, yeah, this is possible. But the problems are still the same. I got to get in shape. I got to compete against the best. I got to do everything. And so that's where we have the facts versus the problems. Now, in things that aren't so rock solid, like everybody knows that a 55-year-old, five foot 10, no vertical jump, out of shape guy isn't going to play in the NBA. Somebody who says, hey, I want to start my own business, mm -hmm. right? They've never demonstrated staying power. They've never started their own business. Those are all facts. But the reality is, is you can say, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate staying power. I'm going to go intern in the type of business that I want to intern mm -hmm. for the next year. I'm going to put aside X amount of money to get there. I'm going to learn these programs here to go and do this. And so you take this from the world's perspective, a completely unrealistic pipe dream. And, in, and instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go start my business next week and be a millionaire, you say, hey, I've got a two and a half year plan mm -hmm. broken into quarters. And every quarter, I'm going to make this much progress on it. And you go to work and you work on it every single day. That's how you take what the world might say is an unrealistic expectation and you turn it into a realistic plan. Yeah. And that's the difference between a fact and a problem. We can't change facts. We have to accept them. The problems, man, we can work on those all day long. You know, it's interesting. So here, I'll share my story then, and, and I'm not making this one up. So I was a pro cyclist, as you know. Uh, my last full year at the pro and elite level was 2002, at which time I was 31. Wait, is that right? 31 years old. Um, that was my last real season. Since then, I have not ridden a lot. I got into running. I've always been fit and active and stuff. But I mean, that was my job. I mean, so you're, you know, a, a 10 hour week was minimal. And a lot of times you're looking at a 30 hours on the bike, out on the road of training to compete at that level. And, you know, th these days I may put in three on a big week, three hours. And, but I was, I've been riding a lot, you know, I did a deal with Cannondale and got a bike and I'm, I'm riding that thing. And I have the skill, I'm mountain biking here. That was my, my past was on the road, but I'm mountain biking, but I, I'm real skillful there. So I can, I can hold my own on a downhill, uh, with some of the elite guys. Uh, so I get, I get my optimism rolling there and I'm kind of psyched. And I told, I told one of the, I told my family, I said, you know what? I want to win a national championship again. The older I get, the easier it'll be because everybody's less healthy as they get older. Right. I want to win a national championship. And so I was thinking about that and I was kind of thinking, yeah, maybe I may really want to do that. Uh, about a month ago, I went to a, a pretty high end race, high caliber uh, of racers. I got hammered. I get hammered by guys older than I am. Uh, 
I mean, I had a bad day. Granted, I, I did. I was I had a really low performance day, even for me. But I got hammered, and I actually went and looked up some of the guys who were in around my age and what they were doing. You know, and I found that these are guys that were kind of like me, past pros. I mean, these are guys have been riding all their lives, and they've never stopped. So they've been putting in their 10 to 30 hours a week, always through their careers, through their families. And I've just spent basically 17 years off the bike for the most part. I'm way behind. I mean, now could I do it? And then I started questioning the real, the reality of it. Do I want to put in the time that they're doing away from my family, away from my work, away from other things that I enjoy athletic stuff, I, running and kayaking and, 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 and hiking and camping. Do I really want to? I'm thinking not really. I was kind of disappointing at first, but then I also realized, now, I, is it possible for me to win? Absolutely. And maybe when I'm 70 or 80, I'll go do it then. Cause you know, hardly anybody's alive at that point. Anyway, I'll be the only guy, I'll be the only guy on the bike <laughs> is my goal. But you know, I looked at it and I don't know that I want to put in that work. Now on the other side, as you know, Tom, I am in the process of becoming a first time author and I've, I've put it off for a long time and now it is highly realistic for me, a big goal. And I have some big goals with it, but it all falls in line. There's a lot of what we say, a lot of uh, supporting evidence, I guess you could say, you know, for that. So to have a big goal and to have a timeline with some supporting evidence, uh, you know, it is realistic. I mean, ultimately, we're just looking at the at, at here of wanting to support the inspiration of having that big goal. But I think where it runs aground and we see people and Tom, you see this all the time, people who go after it with vim and vigor. And then a year later, they're gone. They're gone. They fell so far short because of these overly high expectations that it was disappointing, which again, we don't want to lower expectations, but if we put that, okay, but let's have some realistic steps, which is all about Ziggler and goals is okay. Let's plan it out. And what is a realistic step? And maybe that guy in Zig's story originally who wants to make a million bucks. I think Zig and we do it all say it is absolutely possible. You've got some work to do. It's probably not going to happen in a year, may not even be two years, but would you be happy in five years with a million bucks? Most people would be happy if they could look 10 years down the road and say, in the 10th year, I'm going to make a million bucks. And you, you know, you decide like, kind of like me with the cycling, how much time do I want to put into it? If I wanted to, could I train for a year and get myself up to a national count? Probably not actually, maybe a couple years I could, but I don't think I want to not there. I'd rather be over here writing another book and putting my efforts there. So we've got that, you know, the BHAG again, the big, hairy, audacious goal, the inspiration of it. But then planning it out in a way that we don't lose our personal motivation for it. Is that fair? That's fair, man. You know, one of the things that I look at, especially as I will say mature in life. <laughs> at Ziegler, you know, we teach the, the seven areas of life, mental, spiritual, physical, family, financial, personal, and career. And so when I look at something and I need to go all in on it, right? Like it needs to be a major focus. I'll just use the book. Yeah. Okay. Here's the benefit of a book. Does it help me mentally? I mean, what I'm going to learn and writing it and creating it and talking about it. Yeah, it does. What about spiritually? Well, everything we do at Ziggler is on the spiritual side, principles and values. Yeah. It's going to help physically. Oh man, the book is, it's going to say things about health and wellness it's going to, I'm setting a standard publicly. So, you know, I've got to maintain, yeah, it's going to help there. What about for my family? Well, I've got to lead by example, 
So if the book reinforce, yeah, it's going to help there financially. Hey, you know what? If the book wins and it creates open doors financially, are we going to win? Absolutely. Personal career, the same thing. And so to me, as we, as we really get into what it is that we want to accomplish, the big time consuming goals, the goals that take a ton of effort, they need to really feed all seven of those areas. Yeah. So when you're 29 and a professional athlete, and, and this is the future you've set before you, it feeds all seven areas of your life. You get to feed your family being a professional. You, you know what I mean? It gets, it, gets, it gets to do all those things for you. Uh, so I, what, what I like is I call them superhumans, right? And they're the ones who can, you know, I'll just call him out. Like Scott Erickson, he's, he's a superhuman. So he's got a family, he's got a career, and he's the U.S. Uh, record holder in the discus. And, he, and he's the U.S. champion in the shot for his age group. So he's maintained his physical competitiveness. Uh, he's about our age. He's, well, he's, I think he's 57, 58 now. And so, but he's able to do all of that, but he's got the balance, right? Mm-hmm. He's got the balance to do it. It's not, a, it's not an all time consuming thing, but he puts it in. Yep. Hey, I want to end on one thing. And again, it's with Jessica. I'm going to pick on her here. She said, she said, yes, I feel my goal is realistic of being the, and she says the voice for middle-aged women to embrace who they are meant to be through self-care. I believe it will happen partly because of my mentors through Ziegler and they've equipped me with the tools I need to make it happen. I wanted to pick that out one, because I'm, I'm happy to shamelessly promote Ziegler, of course. But, you know, when you look at when you look at the loner out there, the guy, uh, the girl who just has this big dream and nobody believes in him. Right. I mean, it's the consummate story they make movies about. And I would say, you know, what? nobody knows your capability, including you. When we often don't. And that's why we love those movies when something happens, this inciting incident, as Donald Miller would say, and then somebody rises to the occasion. They, they find the things within them that they never knew they had, the strength, the ability, the perseverance, the diligence, uh, and they find it in them. That nobody, that's the, that's the hope that we all have. Nobody out there can point at you, even if you've never proven yourself. And say what you're capable of, because you can be capable of more tomorrow based on a decision, based on circumstances, based on paths you go down. Um, nobody can can say what your capability is, including you. But back to Jessica, then it is powerful to gather people around you who can help you discover those capabilities, who can support you, who can encourage you and who can validate you. And that's what she has. Cause I know, you know, Jessica. So she went through the system and I am betting that you would say, and of course, you're not going to diss her on public, but I know you would say, you know, you've seen enough from her to go. Yeah, she has it. You are there to that. So she called you and said, okay, Tom, man, I'm looking at opening a second, uh, second gym. And I'm, I'm, I'm really want to take a next step. You know, her, you've experienced her. She exposed, you know, she, she, she shared who she is with you and the team and the family at Ziegler. And now you can testify either way. Cause you could also say, you know what, Jessica, man, I've seen what you've done, but based on what I've seen right now, I, I'd hold off for another year. Maybe let's look at some other ideas to get that counsel. That is powerful. And that's also something we can all do. So if you don't have support out there, if you're not sure what you're capable of, man, go find somebody, go to Ziggler.com and see what you can get involved in there or find another organization. Ziggler's not the, we had somebody say, look, Kevin, you talk like Ziggler's the only organization out there that can help. It's not one of the best, but there's others out there too. But to find a group, to find some people who are competent, who have proven themselves in the areas that you're going in and to get their support 
their teaching, their wisdom, their validation is so powerful. I think to some degree, there's no reason for any of us not to do that as we're going after something big. Absolutely. I was, uh, one of the, one of my practices is to put the good stuff in my mind every day. And I'm reading a book. I may have talked about it last show, even uh, called morality by Jonathan mm-hmm. Sachs. Mm-hmm. And it's the ra- it's, it's the quote from the third century Talmud, which <laughs> Jewish wisdom and the story is a rabbi who was known to be a healer and he would travel to all the villages and heal uh, the, in, in the Jewish community. So one day he gets sick. And he calls a student and he says, hey, could you call rabbi so-and-so over from the next community? He needs to come and heal me. And the student said, but rabbi, you go around healing everyone else. Why don't you heal yourself? And this is what the rabbi said. A prisoner cannot release himself from prison. It takes someone else to turn the key that unlocks the door. That's a powerful thought. And we all create prisons for ourselves and we need somebody to help us unlock the door. We also don't have the visibility of ourselves like somebody from the outside does. We, yeah. we may not even know. We keep trying to go right to, to solve the problem. And somebody says, why don't you go left? And we go left. And it's like, why didn't I think of that? That's the power of a mentor, of a coach, of someone who can work with you. And in that book, uh, th- that uh Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he, he, he talks about the fallacy of self-help. And his own experience is as a young uh, married man, he, he got in water over his head. He didn't know how to swim and he was about to drown. And he said as he was drowning, he started getting mad because he couldn't help himself out of it. Yeah. And somebody saved him and you would have never heard of him if it hadn't been for that person. And so it's not that we don't go and, 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 and help ourselves and do the things for self-care and all that. It's just that we can't do everything. And you know what? Ultimately, I believe that's why we're on this planet to serve each other, because that's why we're here is to help other people. And when we understand that, but it takes two people to help someone, right? It takes the person giving the help and somebody else to say, I receive it. Yeah. Yep. Powerful. Well, that's something we can all do. You know, again, we talked about so often mentors and finding wisdom and counsel. If you can find that from somebody in your area, find it for free. That's great. But we all have the ability to go and pay for it. Find a coach, find a consultant, find somebody who will invest in you that will guide you. Tom, always a gift, brother. You bet. All right, friends, I hope this gave you more insight into how you can see and structure your big goals. Uh, Thanks, as always, to everyone who commented that makes it such a rich show. Coming up in episode 829, Hope Wins. In this, it's a special episode, honestly, of The Ziggler Show because I bring you a masterful weaver of provocative stories that will move you. You'll experience excitement, anticipation, inspiration. You'll likely cry. You'll probably get angry. He's had readers send hate mail when his stories took a drastic turn and they didn't stick long enough to read the rest of the book and the redemption. So it's Charles Martin. He has written 14 fiction books, two nonfiction books. He's had one of them turned into a major motion picture that it's called The Mountain Between 
between us. You can look that up on Amazon or wherever you get your movies. Uh, and he's got another one in the works, another book that's going to be made into a movie. His story of going from a full-time insurance agent to a full-time author is humbling and inspiring. His insight into life, humanity, and faith. It's why he's on the show. That and the fact that I'm now a fervent fan of his books. Actually, my whole family is now. Uh, but it's a very in-depth and thoughtful conversation with a man devoted to changing the world one story at a time. You can find all of his books and read about him at charlesmartinbooks.com. Of course, you can find him anywhere you get books, but you're going to enjoy this episode. Till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 